This season of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Bart Ingredients, whose extensive range of quality herbs, spices, seasonings and pastes are all available at Waitrose. Bart offers so many simple, delicious ways to elevate your cooking. From aromatic whole spices to handy blends and pastes such as Ra's El Hanout or black garlic paste, they'll help you build incredible depth of flavour and create beautiful dishes. What's more, with over 50 years of experience working with producers all over the globe, Bart's guarantee their ingredients are grown and harvested responsibly with care for people and the planet. So whether you're just starting out on your cooking journey or you're, forgive the pun, a seasoned chef, you can relax and trust Bart to open up a world of exciting flavour. Go to waitrose.com forward slash Bart to discover the range. Hello and welcome to the second season of Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose. In each episode, we talk to some very special people about what food means to them, asking about their comfort foods and favorite dishes, their food memories and go-to ingredients, and finding out a lot more about each of our guests in the process. Hi, Alison. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How about you, Jimmy? I'm pretty good. I am. I'm trying to be fit. I think we all are, aren't we? Maybe our fitness regimes have ebbed and flowed throughout this time. But I've actually hit upon something that I didn't think would work, but that has been a real joy and been really fun, which is me and my eldest son, who is eight, um, have been going for a run together. And it's something that I kind of resisted because I I tend to think of... um, of you know running as space and time away and I unlock things that I'm trying to figure out in my writing and work and you're sort of trying to get those stresses of the day to melt away and I kind of thought oh if he's kind of with me like I'll still be in kind of dad mode yeah yeah but it's been really fun it's been a total joy we did like you know a couple of kilometers he's really chuffed that you know we've done this distance together it's really fun to kind of work through it together and actually weirdly I've been on a bit of a um in a bit of a running rut maybe and just kind of you know struggling to get out there struggling to stay motivated and so it was uh it's it's given me like a lovely little boost actually and it's this nice shared thing that we've got how is your running going I'm almost loath to ask (laughs) I've got into a bit of a rut I was doing so well and then I've kind of stopped so I need to I need to have that motivation that something like your son is probably really good for giving you a a boost on those days when it's like oh I can't be bothered but yeah but you do know you when you go out and do it however long whether it's a long or short one that you do feel so much better. and Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's something really calming and soothing about the kind of process, the repetition of, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And it just seems to um, make everything seem manageable. This all feels like really fitting uh, conversational ground for the person that we are going to be speaking to today. We are meeting Adrienne Herbert. She's a fitness blogger, a podcaster, a TEDx speaker, a mother, and as of last year, she's also an author. Her book and podcast are both called Power Hour, and they're about boosting your mood by reclaiming specific points of your day. Uh, I know she's going to be a really great guest, uh, but how are you feeling about meeting her, Alison? I can't wait. 
I first came to know about Adrian when she started working with the Waitrose Health magazine team. She is their guest editor for the 10th issue and she's kind, she's funny and above all, she's got a really sensible approach to fitness and life in general. I couldn't agree more and I can't wait to hear her tell us more about it. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with Adrienne Herbert. Thank you so much for joining us. It's really, uh, really lovely to uh, be on a call with you and to be uh, saying hello from a distance. Uh, really good to have a podcaster kind of uh, in one of these situations because you were like on it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really nice. As you mentioned, I'm a podcaster, but I'm usually the host. So I'm usually the one <laughs> curiously asking the questions and then nodding along. So it's really nice to be a guest and to be on the other side of the mic. You mentioned your podcast and also uh, your book that came out last year. That's called Power Hour as well. And uh, this is the part where I tell you that I actually tried to do my own Power Hour earlier this morning. I got up extra early. I didn't look at my phone. I did the whole cold water in the face thing. And at first I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. I can't do this. But then I did some ex exercise and it was good. I felt the power. I felt a buzz. And uh, it was really contagious. Uh, you seem to have this great handle on being motivated. But where does that come from? Um, is it something that's just innate or natural? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I'm glad to hear that you yeah started the day uh, with a few with a few of my my tools and hacks. And I, yeah, I, I was slightly cursing you this morning. When I was like, <laughs> oh my god, I feel like I've got to do this, or I feel yeah. bad. But no, I, I I I benefited definitely. Great. Well, and also, I guess I should give a little context. If anyone's listening to us thinking, what is she talking about? What is the power hour? In a nutshell, it's essentially the first hour of your day, and I encourage people to to reclaim that hour and to do something in that time their choice, whatever they want to do in that time that is going to set the tone for the rest of your day, something that's going to make you feel good. Maybe maybe it's exercise, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's working on a, a passion project, but yeah, just utilizing that first hour. Uh, and when you said, you know, you're right, you know, I am an eternal optimist. I am, you know, Mrs. Motivator and I always want to encourage people to 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 do whatever it is that they want to do. It's not about just do more, achieve more. It's actually what are the things that you really want to do but for whatever reason, you you don't make it a priority or you haven't been able to make it happen or it hasn't worked out for you yet. And I think that I often say that I see people's potential before they do, like their full potential. I'll say to friends, oh, you're brilliant at that. You should do this. Or, you know, have you ever thought about that? And, and sometimes it's just that confidence boost or that permission of someone else seeing in you what you what you're capable of. So when you ask me, like, where does that come from? I'm really thinking about, you know, I grew up, I'm, I'm, I was, you know, an elder sibling. I've got younger siblings. Um, I was raised by a single mother in, in a low income household and she had to work incredibly hard to do all the things that she did, you know, to get us to school and to dance classes and athletics practice. And, you know, to be honest, I don't really know how she did that with all of us because myself and my siblings were all, you know, uh, big characters, we're all extroverts, we're all, you know, I don't know how she, she did that. But I think even back then, you know, if I think back to being maybe 10 years old, 12, 13, I think I really learned from a very young age that, you know, the world isn't fair and we don't all get the same things. We don't all get the same uh, circumstances or education or experiences or opportunities. But you can either kind of see those things as, you know, barriers, perceived limitations and say, well, I can't because X, Y, and Z. I can't because I didn't have this or I can't because I'm a woman or because I'm a woman of color or because I, you know, all of these barriers, perceived barriers, 
or you can focus on creating better for your future, for yourself, for your life, for your day. And I don't think you can do both. You have to choose. You cannot simultaneously do both. So I always felt like maybe it was just born out of necessity that was like, actually, if I want to do something, if I want to learn how to do something, I guess I'm just going to have to figure it out. I want to say growing up in a, in a family like that, what, what, what did meals look like? Yeah. Well, it's, again, I'm thinking back, I'm going, oh, what was it like? And it's interesting because there was definitely an element, as, again, of like, you know, I was in the kitchen and I learned how to cook and I learned how to make things. And, oh, wow. um, and, and not always, well, you say that. I think maybe, <laughs> maybe you know, I think that, that sounds the picture of, you know, there wasn't always maybe lots of fresh ingredients and, you know, it wasn't necessarily like a cookery lesson. Sometimes it would probably be taking something from the fridge or the freezer and putting it in the oven. Other times it would be, you know, making things. And actually my grandma's Jamaican. And when I visited her, she would often make things and she never really, she never really taught me how to make them, but I would always watch and think to me, it kind of some of the things, some of the dishes that she made, I always thought were a bit, maybe a bit strange. And, you know, they, they, they weren't the things that were in my fridge and freezer. But so I definitely had that influence there of, of, of watching her cook and prepare food. And she always made things, she always made so much food for someone who lived alone. So my, my Jamaican grandma, she lived alone, but she always made so much food. It was like she would make enough for eight people. Um, and whether it was, you know, then like that kind of batch cooking idea. Are there any dishes that you kind of really remember her cooking? Yeah, and it's interesting, you know what, R.I.P., I love my nan so much. And I think back to when she, and like I said, when I was young in her kitchen, there's a few things that stand out to me. One is, yeah, this who is she cooking all this food for? Also her kind of asbestos hands. She used to say she has asbestos hands because she would turn she would turn things in the pan. So she she made, no. yeah, she made these, um, I think they were like sweet corn fritters. Uh, I think that's what she probably called them. And they were, I'm not sure what all the ingredients were, but um, I kind of make a similar thing now. And it's, you know, it's just grated uh, potato or root vegetables whatever you've got and, and sweet corn and an egg and salt and pepper and, and she would turn things in the pan with her hands and I remember if I ever touched it being like oh my gosh it's so hot how could she do that um yeah but she used to do that so I remember her making those and she used to make a lot of stews and um yeah red pea soup was something that she used to make so that's like a stew that's got red peas in it and obviously rice and peas chicken lots of the traditional Jamaican foods but I always remember her for some reason I think if she was still alive I'd probably buy her a spatula (laughs) (laughs) and make her use it in terms of you've mentioned a couple of times dance classes and um, I've seen you talk about um not necessarily knowing what you wanted to do but always wanting to be active and creative and being quite sporty, like from an early age. And you moved to London at a, a, a quite a young age. Can you, can you talk us through that? What happened there and what was the kind of driver to, to get you to do that? Yeah. So, so we all lived in, lived in Leeds um, mm. with my mum and my siblings. And as you say, I went to dance class, I went to athletics club, I was very active and I didn't really engage in school in the academic stuff, which is kind of ironic now because now I'm just a voracious learner and, you know, just written, written a book, as you said, but yeah, in school, I kind of, I loved the social aspect of school. I loved the sports and the clubs, but uh, yeah, I just, I think I got most of my, most of the things I enjoyed and excelled at were performance, you know, whether that was running in a race or whether that was performing on stage. And if I'm honest, I, again, living at home, you know, in that environment, it, it was challenging, you know, having a single mother, lots of, you know, I think it was a challenging environment. And I saw things that maybe friends had or, or just lifestyle that wasn't available to me. You know, I'd only ever been to London once and uh, we think it was, a, yeah, it was a school trip. And I went, we went to see a show and we went around and I remember 
friends that used to go to London and, and they'd say, oh, I did go for weekends and, and I'd know I'd only been once. So I don't know really where the drive came from, but I definitely, I just wanted to, I think maybe have some independence, maybe have some space. Um, you know, I'd shared a bedroom and I think I just wanted some space. And actually, I think I kind of felt like I had a choice at the time. Reflecting back now, I thought I could either uh, pursue athletics. And, and as I said, I was, I, I was competing, but it was only, you know, a, a small casual thing, but my athletics club, I remember thinking I could stay here and I could go all in a hundred percent. I never really dabble. So everything I do is a hundred. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I could commit to this and, you know, work with my coach and, you know, maybe pursue athletics as a career, but I'll have to stay living at, at home. I'll stay living in Leeds. However, if I pursue the the dance option and if I go to drama, yeah, if I go to dance school, drama school, you see where this is going, then I have to live in London and I'll get to move to London. And that just seemed more appealing, exciting. It seemed like an adventure. And I just said, okay, great. I went for the auditions. And as soon as I got the place, I I think I actually knew, I think I counted down the days. It was like 60 something days on the calendar and I counted down the days. And then, yeah, I literally got onto, um, I think I got on a coach, you know, like the National Express coach. Wow. Oh, yes. to, Vic- to Victoria, to Victoria yeah, yes course. and I got to Victoria with my suitcase like honestly oh, wow. literally like that uh, this was how many years ago gosh a long time ago and and that was it I never looked back I never I never had that sense of oh you know because to be honest as well it didn't seem that far away it didn't seem like I was going from Australia to London I just thought well here I am and yeah as I say never look back yeah and did you know anyone in London no <laughs> Wow. That is great. Uh, after, yeah, having just been down like once for a school trip as once. well. That, that was, um, <laughs> that was uh, you know, heaping a lot on that one visit. Mm. But, you know, I mean, spoiler alert, things did work out for you, obviously. <laughs> and you became a dancer in the West End show in a We Will Rock You, was it? Was mm-hmm. the one that you were in for the yep. longest. And I'm fascinated by the life of uh, being a dancer in one of those big West End productions. And uh, what was that like? What are your kind of memories of that time? Yeah, well, I guess the first thing I should start off by saying, because, you know, it's interesting when you say, oh, it turned out and it's a success. And yeah, I feel very fortunate that I've had a lot of success and a lot of things have have really gone really well. Um, but there's also been the reverse of that. There's been, you know, highs, lows, everything in between. And so I think what I'd start by saying is that when I graduated, you know, I was auditioning for every show in the West End. I was auditioning for dance jobs. I was auditioning for dancing in, in music videos, in in live performances and I was getting you know the odd job so I did you know I danced at the mobile awards for Lamar if you remember Lamar (laughs) right which was great but at the same time I had to pay rent in London one of the most expensive cities in the world so I had to work in two jobs I worked in a clothes shop in the day I worked in an Italian restaurant at night so I was doing all of that and then yes I got I I did a I got a job and did a UK tour of a musical first and then went into We Will Rock You um which is at the Tottenham Court Road Dominion Theatre. So it's huge theatre, 2,000 seats. So 2,000 people watching you every night. It was such an incredible experience. It really felt like this just different world. Really. I felt like I was in this bubble of, of West End life. Wow. I'm always fascinated with people like that and the hours they're working. They, they must be eating just to get the energy, but kind of how do you fit it in? Because you can't dance on a full stomach. And what, what do you eat? Yeah. It, and again, it's interesting because now my, you know, maybe we'll talk about this, but my diet is probably so different to what it was then. And then, yeah, you're just, I guess the adrenaline and the energy and the dancing and the performance, you can just eat and eat and eat, but you're not necessarily eating the right things. And I, it's interesting. People might assume that dancers, you know, who had these like, you know, incredibly toned bodies and people <laughs> think, oh, you must have this really yeah, strict yeah. diet. But oh, honestly, we were eating. Is it a Mars bar? Well, yeah, I was eating. <laughs> 
and Harry Bow <laughs> suites backstage. And um, I definitely used to, I used to, I used to like midday, I'd have, you know, uh, I guess my main meal. Cause as you said, I wouldn't eat an evening meal at, at six o'clock cause you're getting ready to go on stage. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe because again, being 2021, maybe I didn't care so much about, you know, nutrition and about balance. I think I just kind of was, um, I don't know, maybe just living on, you know, yeah, <laughs> just yeah, fuel. Yeah, 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 just fuel. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem, wow. it does seem kind of, especially in the context of, of how you're known now and your life now. And we were talking about, you know, being an early riser and, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost on its head. Like you kind mm. of had this more kind of nocturnal existence. Like, did you, did that feel like you, did it feel like a fit at the time? So I've seen you mm. talk about the fact that, you said it already that you're very sort of naturally optimistic and you're a morning person generally like yeah did it feel yeah how did how did you balance it at the time yeah well it's good that I guess it's good I've kind of lived both because I do I can now relate when people say to me oh but you know have you always been a morning person or yeah do you always and I can say to them look you know when people talk about the night owls and, and morning larks and saying well can you shift from one to the other so as a result of that job I had to become a night owl like you know I was working until 11 o'clock so you're you're a night owl so I wasn't getting up then at 5 or 5 30 like I do every day now so I do think it's definitely possible to shift your your body clock due to your environment and and your lifestyle choices you can definitely shift to being one or the other uh what I'd say was I guess I did lean into it you know I enjoyed it I never felt like I was you know this is 100% this is everything embodied body that I embody and and I don't I don't think I really realized it you know I think you're at 20 years old even 30 40 I think we transition and our lives have ebbs and flows and I think at that point I often talk about you know having seasons and and I feel like it was just that was the season I was in and I just lent into it 100% but now um, yeah so it's not that one maybe was right or wrong but I think this is a different season of my life and it definitely feels like you know I talk about when I'm with runners or when I'm with I think I feel like I found my tribe I found my people now you know my early risers people who understand the the same I guess uh motivations maybe that I have you know we're all we're all different we have different motives we have different likes and dislikes but I think yeah you kind of feel it when you you know that feeling when you're amongst um your people you know yeah yeah seasons is such a great way to think about it because I think you can get the sense that people are like oh no I'm just like this I'm kind of innately like this and there are those all sorts of opinions of you know your personality is formed at a very young age and people kind of reel off facts about that but it's really good to know and it's a really nice way to think of it and come at it that yeah your life does have seasons and ebbs and flows and you're the constant throughout that but Mm. but you can be open to change absolutely I couldn't honestly the change I really want people to hear what you just said about change because there's a science behind that too and you know I talk about that in the first chapter of my book power hour the reason I wanted it to be in the first chapter was because I really wanted people to read the rest of the book with that with that open mindset and understanding that there's a science behind our minds and change. And, you know, if you, people that are familiar with neuroplasticity, essentially it's just that the brain is malleable. So everything from learning a new skill to learning a new behavior to adopting a new attitude. And as you said, just thinking about yourself as this malleable thing, not that, oh, I am like this. So therefore I can only do this or that, but actually in a season you might be like that, but we're all 
we're all able to change and to become something else. So with intention, with repetition, with practice, with with a desire to change or to grow or to learn, we can all become something. And it can be completely different to what you were in the past. Your, your past doesn't have to dictate what you become. In your TEDx talk, which I would really recommend people listen to, you talk about a shift in your outlook on life based on a very challenging situation that you went through. It was a real pivotal moment in your life and the journey you've been on since. How do you reflect on that time? Yeah, and I think that, you know, again, going to seasons, you know, I've definitely had really challenging seasons and that was one. And essentially when I was, um, yeah, in, in We Will Rock You, um, I was newly wed, I was newly pregnant and I was just, as I described, you know, doing this show every night and just enjoying myself. Um, and then my husband, one night, literally out of nowhere, he became really critically ill. He had a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage out of, the blue, literally like lightning striking you down. You know, he was healthy, 29 year old, healthy person, didn't even have so much as a headache. So to have a brain hemorrhage, it is something that, I mean, you can imagine it's so life-changing and I didn't go back to the show ever. I, I walked out of the theater and said, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. I never went back. So that was a change. And then the next few months was a big change, you know, understanding, uh, trying to understand and trying to learn what, what had happened. And then the consequence of that for, for him, which was developing epilepsy and then the change in our family when our son was born. So, so much change that was, you know, that wasn't change that I would have chosen. And I think often when I talk about change and how exciting it is and transformation, it's something that is a choice. You choose to change. But actually when change is thrust upon you, as it has been for us in the pandemic, as it is for people when they uh, experience grief or loss or all of these things, they're not changes we would choose, but they happen. And so, yeah, I guess, again, talking about the choice of, you know, what, what can I do now? I wanted to do something and I knew that I had to. And so it wasn't, you know, an overnight thing of, oh, you know, I'll just suddenly grab my shoes and run out the door and everything will be great. It wasn't like that at all. But I did discover running. I, I'd never been a runner before. Uh, my son was born and he was probably about nine months old. So anyone with a new baby will know that, you know, <laughs> nine months yeah. is it's challenging yeah. and, you know, sleepless def- nights. Yeah, relate to that impulse to I uh, want to sort of leg it around the block a little bit. Or maybe, yeah, exactly. Maybe Run away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Run away and escape. But that's what I did. You know, I, I figured, you know what, I need, I, I felt like after... Uh, I just felt like I needed something to yeah, re-energize myself and to have some time on my own, some solitude to kind of just, it was, it was summer as well. I, I'm not ashamed to say, I think even to this day, I'm probably still a little bit of a fair weather runner, which I shouldn't admit. <laughs> okay. as- that's, re- that's reassuring to hear because that's what I am. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it started off with the 20 minutes around the block, which again, wasn't easy. I remember running around thinking, everyone talks about this runner's high and isn't running great. And I'm like 10 minutes in thinking this is awful actually, but I stuck with it. I stuck with it. And over the weeks and months and years that followed, I really just discovered a new, a new passion, a new part of myself, a new part of my life, um, which yeah, became part of my identity essentially Mm. as a runner. No, I, I, I absolutely can relate because I'm, a runner as well. I've done, you know, a couple of marathons and I think my sort of serious running did coincide with 
you know, family sort of times of stress and kind of, you know, like kind of people being unwell and things like that. And I wonder how many other people do have that where you do sort of, because it it does clear your mind. It gives you something to focus on. If you Mm. run a marathon for a charity, that gives you kind of a way to sort of, um, I don't know, see some control from this really uncontrollable situation. Was food any sort of comfort at that time? You know what, interestingly, especially because I'm someone who loves food so much and I love to cook, I love to eat, I love to um, I love to have meals with others, whether that's in restaurants or in my home. But when I think back to that time, that was probably the only time in my entire life when food became probably just a part of probably just a function, something that I wasn't passionate about, something I didn't have the time and energy to give to. I didn't feel like I was, you know, making delicious food to nourish. I just felt like I was kind of, I think it was the only time in my life when I've probably, you know, not had much appetite, felt a little bit kind of, which again, even saying that, it's like, really? I, I, you know, I love food so much. I guess it's just how you just went into survival mode, if you know what I mean. And it was that it's understandable with everything that was going on in your life at that time. So what changes have you made to to your diet? You said, alluded earlier that you eat very differently now to what you did when you were 20. Yes. So now I would say that it's much more, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm able to buy fresh produce and I buy things, that, as many things as I can that are fresh. I'll make things from scratch. I'll make pasta sauces instead of opening a jar of sauce. I will try to have lots of different colors, lots of different textures and lots of, um, yeah, diversity. And I think understanding, <clears throat> I think understanding that, whether it's uh, our exercise regime, you know, we need variety. It's exactly the same with our diet. We need variety. And again, I talk about seasons, but there's, there might be season in your life where you need more of something. And even just throughout the year with the way the weather changes and our activity levels change. And even within a month for women with, with how their cycle changes, I think I'm much more aware now of saying, okay, am I getting, it sounds so boring, doesn't it? Balance, balance. People say, oh, it's so boring. It would be much more exciting to say, oh, I have this strict regime but actually I just I strive for balance and that doesn't mean every plate or every day but balance overall you know sometimes more of this sometimes more of that but yeah lots of fresh things so lots of I mean every day I probably have bananas oranges blueberries if I'm if I'm putting a salad together there will be 20 things whether it's you know honestly from seeds rocket I'll put in um you know sunflower seeds I'll put in cranberries chopped up some nuts some apple grated carrot just everything goes in basically. Again, for parents listening, there's definitely been times when I could just cook anything and blitz Mm. it up and he'd eat it and that was fine. (laughs) Then it got to a point, I think, where he would, you know, his little finger would just pick out one little piece of basil and say, um, what is, I don't like this. this. Yeah, I don't, (laughs) you think, um, I don't do this. And you go, excuse me, you're like, you've been eating that for years, but suddenly that one, yeah, that one piece of spinach or that one thing, and they suddenly become aware of different textures and say, no, I don't like this. I don't like that. So again, it's a challenge you know there's things that he willy and I, I like I said pasta seems to just be the theme if I we've got so many different sauces I make this green spaghetti sauce which has got you know uh blended up basil and peas and avocado and spinach and, and all these things so he's eating that but if if I gave them to him on a plate individually no chance so I think it's about you know trying trying where you can pick your battles you know find the things that they like and that they don't like getting them involved I think is nice and so with Jude if I'm making a uh, again it's pasta but if we're making a pasta bake he will actually you know I'll say come and wash the tomatoes come and wash the sweet corn come and put this in and he'll take a few out and eat them raw and I think those yeah those tactile things are quite nice as saying you know oh you can try this and 
trying that and understanding um, food and, and learning a little bit about it and getting them to actually come and help you if you can. To, to experiment with new foods but he certainly doesn't eat everything and at the moment um he would it's spicy anything that's a little oh, it's spicy <laughs> I, I don't like spicy so we need to we need to work on that a bit <laughs> feels completely appropriate that you've spoken about pasta even going back to your Italian restaurant days because I really think of it as a food for runners um, like the pasta parties that you have when you're carbo loading before the London Marathon um, when you cross the finish line after a big race or a running event what do you crave? Yes. Well, it's often, so I'm a, I always say that I've got a natural sweet tooth, so I like sweet things, but it's interesting that if I finish uh, an endurance event, I don't want anything sweet. I want savory. And maybe because when we, you know, if you're sweating for four hours, then you probably lose a lot of salt. So, so you want to replenish that. So yeah, I always want something savory and something hot. Um, I never want, you know, and I think also if I'm running an endurance event, I might be, you know, having those gels, which are like energy gels and they're quite sweet and they can be, they can feel quite sticky and quite or someone gives you a handful of jelly babies so this feels like yeah you don't want I, I never want sugary things after a race I always want something savory um and again might not be what people expect but just something plain like fries you know like fries salty fries I'm like that is great but actually also before a run when thinking about fueling I honestly believe everyone finds their own little things don't they that become their like pre-race rituals and I believe I've got it nailed. So forget the porridge, forget all that. My thing that I have before an endurance race is a banana with almond butter and a croissant. And that has wow. served me well. Every time I've had that before, wow. and I, I had that before I ran a half marathon PB. And ever since I'm like, that is fuel. That's, I don't know what it is from a, like I said, I'm not a nutritionist or I don't know if I get the breakdown of what's in that, but banana, nut butter and croissant. And that's, that seems to I be like the sound that's of the it. fuel yeah. that works for you. It yeah. does sound rather mm, tasty. Sounds good. <laughs> we wanted to ask about your journaling. I love it. And I, there's some really lovely questions that I've seen that you've suggested. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, I will. So it's an exercise that I share in the book that I call six questions to answer before six. And if you're someone who is new to mindfulness or someone that kind of doesn't, you know, it doesn't really resonate with you to kind of sit quietly cross-legged with your eyes closed, then you can probably understand after hearing me talk just for an hour that I don't really resonate with that either. I have a lot of energy and I thrive in doing. So for me to have a mindful practice, I needed to have a bit of structure and some prompts and cues. So that's why I, I use this exercise. And the idea is just to take a blank sheet of paper or take a notebook and answer six questions when you first wake up to draw your intention, to, to focus and to, I guess, the, just the action of writing down, committing words to paper is it's it's a mindful practice. And it also, uh, yeah, encourages you to, to really focus and think about the answer as opposed to just running through it in your head. So some examples of those questions could be, who could I learn from today? Or who could I help today? You know, something small that you could do in service of others. Or um, what am I most looking forward to today? Or what am I most grateful for today? Uh, one that I like at the moment is, you know, who would love to hear from me today? You know, during lockdown, who would love to hear from you? You know, who is going to see your name, call them and put a big smile on their face? Is it your grandma? Is it your, you know, friend? So answering these questions, as I said, you know, it's, it doesn't have to take an hour, it could take 10 minutes. But I did this exercise every single day for four months. And I really saw a change. I saw that throughout my day, 
I would be looking for those answers. So for example, you know, what am I, what am I most looking forward to? I'd write the answer and then, oh, lo and behold, at four o'clock when that, that thing comes, it's like, yeah, this is the thing on my list today. So it was really, really nice to, to do that consistently. A lot of people have, have um, sent me screenshots or sent me messages and said, oh, I'm doing this every day. That's really encouraging. And it's, it's just lovely, not just being kind to yourself, but being shown kindness to other people is and yeah in this time as well although a lot of us would say oh it's it's strange you know a lot of people are busy a lot of people are saying actually I've got more time than ever now and actually how can I if it's feeling monotonous if they're feeling fed up and how can I shift that often the focus is to say what do I need what can I do to feel better but one thing that we know really really does boost um our, our mood and our mental health is doing things to to support and help others so even if it's something small like making a lasagna for your name for your elderly neighbor <laughs> yeah you know that could be a small thing that gives you a purpose for the afternoon and is really yeah going to help out somebody else and during the past year everyone's had more time to do baking and cooking have you been baking or cooking doing your sourdough loaves is there anything well, any of the trends Alison I'll tell you honestly you'll never I mean you'll ne- um, as much as I like to optimize time you'll never see me making my own almond milk or whatever that is. But one thing I kind of, you know, I, the whole banana bread, banana cake lockdown thing, I feel a little bit put out by this because I have been making the best. I honestly think I have the best banana cake recipe weekly. I used to you know, make it every Sunday weekly. And then suddenly it became a trend. It was almost like a cliche to make in lockdown. However, uh, I'm going to share it with you because I don't even own weighing scales and it is just foolproof. It never goes wrong. So basically I use one cup. I use one cup and that's how I measure it out. So I use one cup of self-raising flour. I use the same cup to then fill it with milk. And that can be any kind of milk, uh, oat milk, cow's milk, whatever milk you want. And then I, this is so bad for anyone listening who's a baker, but I, I just put in half a block of butter. That's how I measure it. Half a block. That, that is it. Yeah. And then what else goes in? So the same cup, again, using the same cup, I use half a cup of sugar, make sure it's the same cup. Three ma- White or brown? Uh, white. Three mashed up bananas, preferably if they're going brown, then that's great. One grated carrot. Again, that carrot sneaking in there. Wow, <laughs> yes, it keeps, that's your secret ingredient. Yes, it keeps moisture, so no dry banana cake. And then what else goes in? Um, two eggs. And I think and then that's it. And honestly, it sounds simple, but it, please let me know if you use my one cup banana cake recipe. Don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and cook it <laughs> and uh, try it out because... I've not had a banana cake with a carrot in before. Alison. I've had carrot carrot cakes with bananas in, but not not the other way around. And- Alison, it's gonna change it is gonna change your banana cake game because it just you never it's never dry. That sounds delicious. Wow. What about your son? Does he maximize his power hour or is he is he right well it's interesting because my power hour is child free so that's why it's so early because I get up an hour before an hour before him but once he does get up you know I do encourage for example and again it's not it's not a judgment about what you should and shouldn't do I'm not parenting expert but I but I do encourage you to you know try some of the things that I talk about so you know there's no tv in the morning the first hour there's no screens there's no ipads there's no nintendo switch none of that he know he doesn't don't even ask me it, you know because <laughs> he just knows yeah that's not happening first thing no <laughs> um and i'll encourage him to you know movement so sometimes if i'm stretching i'll say i'll come and do this with me he mm. likes to do um even though i am a qualified coach and trainer i feel like a little bit betrayed <laughs> when he puts on youtube and watches joe wicks and does joe wicks workouts so so he goes and <laughs> goes i'm like okay so he goes Ultimate and does betrayal. The ultimate betrayal. I know. 
but it's interesting because you know you know obviously I talk a lot about motivation and encouragement and kind of empowering yourself and it's interesting how our children you know I I, I watch and observe and and children Jude doesn't have any concept of time you know an hour what does that mean you know he could do something for five minutes he could do something for two hours you know he doesn't have that same urgency to think must get this finished by this time you know he can just be reading a comic he's got one sock on this idea of like we've got to go in 10 minutes what does that mean sometimes it's quite good for me someone who who optimizes to actually observe that and lean into that and go you know what this could take 20 minutes or it could take an hour and just let just let him be you know well adrienne you have definitely changed my mornings even if just for one day um, you have changed our outlook and I'm sure you've changed many other people's too. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your amazing insight and positivity. Thanks both of you for having me. I've really, really enjoyed this chat. I felt like I, I kind of forgot it was being recorded for a podcast, but like I was just uh, yeah, sharing my life story with you. But thank you. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Life on a Plate from Waitrose. I'm Jimmy Famarewa. Thank you to my co-host, Alison Okavie, and our guest, Adrienne Herbert. To learn more about the series, go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.